Welcome to the Aging Gracefully Podcast. I'm Janae Anderson. And I'm Mary Thompson. Join us as we explore the myths, beliefs, and realities of aging to empower each of us to thrive on all levels every moment of our lives. Hi, welcome back. We're doing a podcast series on brain health. We're talking about how many different ways we can affect the longevity of the brain. What can we do to maximize the brain's potential all throughout our lives? And it's on every level, physical, mental, emotional, even spiritual. Right. We attack it from all those levels. And so we want to look at how can we boost it from all those levels. So here we're going to look at what we can do for the nervous system how we can support our brain health physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and any other way we can think of. So there will be a series of podcasts as we explore the different ways to boost our brain health. That's it. And in today's podcast, we're going to explore how can we support our brain through dietary and lifestyle choices. Sounds good, Mary. How can we? Well, let me tell you about that. We can look at our Well, let's talk about the brain for a little bit. The brain is just one more part of our body, right? And so it's fed by what we take in and how we take in through our senses. And sometimes we disregard the health and state of our brain. Don't we, though? I think about all that damage we did in college, right? (laughs) (laughs) So They say when you're in your early 20s is the time where you're building brain cells fast enough to counter that destruction that you're doing to them at the same time. Thank God for that. (laughs) There is. But we've reached a point in our lives where they die faster than they get replaced. And that's a very sad thing. So as I started to do kind of exploration on what can we do to support the brain, to make sure that the thought process I have today is the thought process I'll have tomorrow and a year from now. We've talked about dementia. We've talked about losing that brain elasticity, but let's see what we can do to support that. You've probably all heard about brain foods, right? We probably have. I remember hearing a lot about fish. Fish was a brain food, and it turns out that the oily fish are a really great source of omega-3 fatty acids. Which are a real brain booster. That's right. And so what are oily fishes? Oily fish, salmon, tuna, mackerel. Those are the ones that come to mind for Mm -hmm. me. I imagine there's some more, so you could do a search on that. It really doesn't have to be so often. Uh, It could be a couple of times a week. We'll give you enough. The omega-3 fatty acids, what I've always heard about them is they tend to tell your body how to use the other fats in your diet. Mm. This is why they look at them as so vitally important. They're considered an essential fatty acid, which means your body can't make it on its own. And your brain is mostly fat. It's supported by fat. So we want to have enough good, quality, healthy fats. And we don't have a lot of great sources of omega-3 fatty acids. They, They tend to be a little bit harder to get a hold of. And our diet tends to be full of the other types of fats. So wait, can I back up a minute? You said the brain is mostly fat? Mm -hmm. So we've got the nerve tissue, Mm -hmm. but that nerve tissue, have you ever heard that expression where people say you only use 10% of your brain? Mm -hmm. Only 10% of your brain is the neurons that are actually pulsing and and connecting with each other and making thoughts. The other 90% of your brain is supporting cells, and these are primarily composed of fat. Wow. I mean, because it's all, the brain is a muscle, isn't it? No. 
What it's a is fatty the brain? organ. It's, it's a, a fatty, fatty organ. organ. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's made up of the nerves, about ten percent, about ninety percent. Now I I probably should go back and look at my college anatomy courses just to be certain. I know it's not a muscle because muscle tissue is really different than organ tissue. Wow, interesting. And okay. So but it isn't it is an organ, it does have tissue. And one of the things that destroys it is these trans fats. And you know, mm-hmm. we've heard lately that they've really gotten um They've gotten their comeuppance that people have begun to notice that these trans fats are bad. And these are fats that are made in a laboratory. You know, they have to be made in some way. They don't occur naturally. So we can avoid them if we just stick to healthy oils and fats. Looking at things that come from a plant you recognize. You look at olive oil. That's olives are really oily and the oil is just pressed right out of them. And if you don't know what the plant is that some oil is coming from, why not just skip it? Yeah, or research it so you know what you're getting into. Right, to say, ah, that's a good one for me. So oils are really good, and they mention the oily fish because fish is a great source of those omega-3 oils. My favorite brain-boosting food, dark chocolate. Yes! I know it's nice to see things like chocolate and caffeine make the list for for brain-boosting. It's like, oh, thank God, (laughs) we've been restricting ourselves for so long. But it's specifically dark chocolate. They're looking at 70% or more because of the minerals that are contained in the cacao. Mm-hmm. Once you start adding milk and sugar in that delicious milk chocolate, it tends to lose some of its brain-boosting qualities. What about cacao powder? I wonder if that would pass right? the... As long as they haven't removed the fats from it. Okay. So if you look at your cacao powder and it's a non-fat substance, mm-hmm. then it's not going to have the brain-boosting abilities that you'll have with the fats. Oh, interesting. Um, at the same time, it will have things like theobromine and magnesium and these other minerals that are really great for brain health. So mm. I don't want to discount any kind of chocolate. I, I want to say <laughs> that all chocolates are good. Um, they're all created equal, but some are more equal than others quoting from Animal Farm, you know, the looking for the dark chocolate specifically. And I think this tends to be almost an acquired taste. The dark chocolate's got more of that bitter edge. I remember when I was a kid and thinking a, a bar of baking chocolate was chocolate. I remember that too. <laughs> and so it is kind of, as an adult, cultivating that taste for a little bit more bitter edge that comes with it. Yes, but what I find is that now that that is my preferred chocolate, mm-hmm. if I have milk chocolate or something like that, it does not taste good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, once you cultivate your taste, right. it is cultivated, it is there. Mm-hmm. And you can certainly find lots of good sources for it. There's wonderful chocolates out in the world today. And there can be fair trade chocolates, which could also then look in the the karma or the energy behind it, looking at ways that people are benefiting from the growth and the production of the chocolate on chocolate farms. Um, Berries, berries, nuts, and seeds. Mm. These are, you know, these are rich in different vitamins and minerals. And that's what we want is we really want a vital diet. We want a diet that's full of food that is nutritious. Yes. If we look at fast foods and junk foods and things like that, they may taste good, but they don't bring a lot of nutrition into the body. And so our brain kind of plays a trick on us. It says that food wasn't super nutritious. So let's eat more of it. Mm Let's have enough of that, you know, crummy food from McDonald's in order to really maximize the nutritious value. Wow. And this is one of the reasons why we see the obesity epidemic is our brain is trying to get the nutrition based on our food choices. 
So why don't we just serve the brain what it needs? Yeah, I, I remember once seeing a nutritionist, and at the time I was not eating in a healthy way, but I was eating a lot of the junky food. And he looked at me and he said, you know, you're starving yourself to death. Which I thought was so interesting because it wasn't that I wasn't eating. It was that I wasn't eating things that were actually beneficial to the body. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's a great paradigm shift. It is. And I heard especially blueberries are great for the brain. Why is that? You know, it's antioxidant. And there's a lot of great antioxidants. That's one of the reasons why chocolate makes the list. One of the reasons why coffee makes the list. One of the reasons why blueberries do. They ha um, well, blueberries specifically and grapes have something called resveratrol, which you might have heard of as a really great antioxidant. Antioxidants are substances that reduce the acidity in the bloodstream by pulling out what are called free radicals. And a free radical is just a free-floating hydrogen ion that's floating around. And what the antioxidants do is they supply an oxygen molecule, so it pulls two hydrogen to it, and it converts those random hydrogen ions into water. And water is great. The body loves water. Mm -hmm. So if you have dryness in the body, if you find yourself kind of feeling depleted, the antioxidants will actually boost your water content. Wow. Even if you took a dried blueberry, it's going to bring in the resveratrol and support your body in making water out of these free hydrogen ions. Now, in the category of coffee and chocolate, you have not mentioned the other thing that is chock full of resveratrol. Oh, red wine? Yes. <laughs> we go for the red wine? <laughs> yes. And so grapes are really loaded in resveratrol. There's an Ayurvedic product called Chavan Prash, which is loaded with resveratrol. So you can find resveratrol in a lot of different fruits, and they tend to all be antioxidant. Now, let me jump to red wine because moderate alcohol use is looked at as a possible brain booster. But the key word there is moderate. Mm. And so I, I know a lot of people who will argue for, I'm drinking this wine because it's going to help my blood pressure and it's going to support my brain. And, you know, that's true for like four ounces every day or four ounces with a meal, not looking at eight ounces or more. I have a friend who is uh, from Martinique, and she said she could always tell when they were watching an American show on television because Americans will sit down with no food and a glass of wine. And she said, you won't find that in the European countries or the countries that are um, that were largely developed by European countries. She said that it's an accompaniment to dinner. It's not something you sit around. You wouldn't go someplace just to drink wine. Interesting. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and when we talked about the blue zones, we talked about how the wine drinking was not only boosting the brain and the body, but also the social part of it, you know, mm -hmm. sitting and relaxing and laughing and sharing with friends and right. how beneficial that is and on mm -hmm. all levels. Right. So we're going to talk about the emotional part of it and talk about how social interaction plays a huge role in brain health. So maybe it's looking at the alcohol as a catalyst for the social interaction or as a part of the social interaction and a part of taking in other brain-boosting foods as opposed to something where you're taking a large quantity of it by itself. Mm -hmm. um, whole grains. Now, grains have gotten a bad rap lately because of people on paleo diets and keto diets and things. And basically, I, I know a lot of people who just think grains are bad, just bad. And I tend to have the opinion that it's not the grains that are bad. It's just our portion size is way too large. It's hard for the body to process high quantities of carbohydrates. And so if I go into a Chinese restaurant today, it's likely they're going to give me a full cup of rice. 
or a Thai restaurant, or <laughs> a lot of restaurants are yeah. getting this, this huge serving of rice. And really about half that is a good serving size. You know, looking at a smaller portion of it, but looking at grains as whole grains instead of processed grains. Right, so the white rice they tend to serve you in the Chinese restaurants, you know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if you ask if they have brown rice, they do have brown rice. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then looking at processed grains, I remember for a long time I would just say, bread is the devil. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's tempting me so badly. And then again, I don't want to cut out all the bread. I want to make it a judicious choice around serving size. So, yeah. and always consider looking at the overall meal and saying, is this mostly brain boosting? That's a good thing. That's a great way to look at a meal. And another way to look at it, because they go hand in hand, is how close to nature is this food? Oh, that's because a good point. the closer point. we are to nature, the, the more they boost the brain and the, and the less mm -hmm. um, refined and processed the food is, the better it is for the body and the brain. Right. Another thing I came across was colorful. And I think what the closer you get to the tree, the more colorful it is. That was one of the comments I saw come up in an article. It was to have a very colorful diet where you were taking in red and orange and green vegetables, that it wasn't all just kind of brown and tan mm. on the plate. And apparently Japanese neuroscientists are fascinated by the texture of food and its influence on brain health. Interesting. That crunchy food makes a big difference. So if your regular diet is soft food, you know, smoothies and soups um, a lot, then you might consider switching to salads and things that you have to masticate and, uh, mm -hmm. and work on to, mm -hmm. to swallow. Yeah, and I think the key thing that I'm hearing is switch things up. You know, just don't always go in one direction, but make it so you, you're always having new experiences. The brain's fed from the sense organs, and the sense organs are just always sensing. <laughs> They're just always <laughs> assessing what's going on. And the more kind of work we give the brain to do to figure out what it's doing and how it's doing it, the better. That makes sense. I want to talk for a minute about coffee, black tea, and green tea. Good. Now, on the one hand, coffee gets a bad rap because it is an, a nervine stimulant. It's going to force the brain to work faster. If you've done the good work of feeding your brain well, the stimulation is going to make it stronger and faster. If you've been starving your body, if you've not been feeding your brain well, the stimulation is going to exhaust the brain. So one of the things, so they're looking at coffee, green tea, and everything being possible stimulants and brain boosters because of the fact that they increase brain function. And what they find with the brain is really use it or lose it. It's if you're forcing yourself to learn something new and do different things, then the brain stays more resilient. It stays stronger. It makes new neural connections. If we're always doing the same thing, we're kind of not challenging the brain, we tend to lose that. So when we add something like coffee, black tea, or green tea into the mix, they bring in certain chemicals as well. And these chemicals can be really beneficial for brain health by keeping the brain active. You know, if you're not learning something new because your brain's tired, then the coffee may be a good boost to support your brain in remaining active so you can focus on the learning and making those new neural connections. The Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm just wondering, uh, we talked about four ounces of wine, but how much coffee is good, you know? <laughs> That's a good question. I have a feeling the researchers aren't willing to commit. <laughs> They've got, <laughs> the Starbucks lobby is in their pocket. <laughs> 
you know, they don't want to say, I, I, I wonder, I, I would really say it so much depends upon if my diet is, is full of these fatty fish and dark chocolate and nuts and seeds and berries and whole grains, I can tolerate more coffee. If my diet's full of whole, uh, fast foods, processed foods, foods that are devalued as far as their nutrition goes, then I can't tolerate a lot of coffee. The other factor that's going to come up in a minute, and I'll just jump to it now, is sleep. Ah, yes. And so I have to look at if my caffeine consumption is either interfering with sleep or replacing sleep, then it's not going to be good for the brain. Sleep deprivation is definitely not good for the brain. No. And so often what caffeine does is it just, it perks us up and it helps us to work through fatigue, but it doesn't resolve the fatigue. So we have to be sure that when we're taking the coffee or the black tea or the green tea, that we're also taking time to relax, that we're taking time to get deep rest. How interesting. So in other words, we don't drink coffee when we need the coffee. We drink the coffee to enhance us when we're already in a good place, is what I seem to hear you saying. That would be the best way to use coffee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the way people typically, what happens, it's an addictive substance, meaning that the brain begins to be dependent on the presence of the coffee. So if we find ourselves getting caught up in the addictive process, then we just want to make sure that we're nurturing the brain as well. That makes sense. Because I don't want to, I don't want to vilify coffee. I'm not a coffee drinker, and so I'm not one to speak to it. But I do know that um, we just want to make sure always that the brain is fed before we create a demand for the brain to do work. Okay. An analogy I often use with this is if I get in my car and the gas tank is empty, I don't want to drive 150 miles to the next gas station. I can't. The gas tank is empty. So when I wake up in the morning and I have no energy, I want to ask myself, is my gas tank empty? You know, if my gas tank is empty, I want to put in the nuts, the berries, the whole grains, the the vital food. Now I'm ready to turn the engine on with the coffee. Mm. That's a very good analogy. I love my analogies. I love your analogies too. <laughs> there are a couple more foods I want to mention. Avocados, again, great source of, of healthy fats that are going to serve the nervous system well. Eggs. Eggs. Eggs have, they're a great source of B vitamins and B vitamins support the brain as well. But you do want to look for pastured eggs. That's where the B vitamins are going to be. You ever notice sometimes you'll see eggs and they'll say vegetarian fed, which is for a vegetarian, maybe a really a, a choice they want to make is for vegetarian fed, but chickens are omnivores. Chickens eat bugs, chickens eat worms, and so they get kind of depleted on a, on a restrictive diet. So when you've pastured the chickens, they've been able to indulge in their broad dietary choices, and the off the they've been able to indulge in their broad dietary choices, and their product, the egg, is going to reflect that and have those be. Egg container could say cage-free, but that might mean the chickens are running around under a big kind of caged tent that they're not out in a pasture finding fresh worms and bugs. Exactly. Uh, Also, sometimes you'll see eggs that'll say omega-3 supported or they fed them flax seeds, and that's going to increase the ability for there to be omega-3s in the the eggs themselves. So that's not not necessarily a bad thing either. Uh, Or cruciferous vegetables. Broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower. Here's the crunchy again. There's the crunchy. You know, even if they're lightly steamed, they're still going to retain that crunch. They also have, 
one of the things I think is kind of funny, they say if you want to see foods that are supportive to the brain, you look for foods that kind of look like the brain. Oh, so fun. they say walnuts are, are a good brain food, but they are also a great source of omega-3 fatty acids. Mm. But they say if you look at a half a walnut, it looks kind of like a brain. So the same thing with broccoli or cauliflower. Cauliflower looks like a brain. <laughs> it does look a lot like a brain. So you can think, oh, brain health. I've got this, this good cruciferous vegetable that brings in lots of different kinds of mineralization that's going to feed the body. Again, nutrient-dense foods. And kale, everybody's favorite right now. Um, hopefully that will never die. But kale is, again, just a rich source of minerals for the brain. So we need to fashion some kind of donut that looks like a brain. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the apple fritter. But that brings me to what we're supposed to avoid, which is sugar. And really the processed sugars, the white sugar is going to be... The, I remember my mother saying the white foods were always deadly. The white sugar and the salt mm, and white the white bread. flour. Yeah. yeah, And she still gave it to us. She just told us she was killing us at the same time. <laughs> but so looking at other options for sugars, they can be like things like maple syrup. There's raw sugars, rice bran syrup. You can just explore sweeteners that you like. There's so many options. My mm -hmm. current favorite is stevia, taken mm -hmm. from a sweet flower. Right. And stevia is going to have that same action. It doesn't spike the blood sugar. It doesn't disturb the brain. Looking at sugar, processed sugars are deadly to the brain because the brain, well, the brain loves glucose. And our processed sugars are going to be in the form of a sucrose, and that's going to be have fructose and glucose, and the brain lives on it. But the brain, like all of us, what happens when we overfeed it? What happens when we overfeed ourselves? sluggish right that we don't feel like getting up and doing anything really active so if we take that really sugary drink and we flood the body with sugar the brain gets overfed and it just kind of goes Meh. Oh. <laughs> and what keeps our brain healthy is going to be the activity the firing of the neurons the stimulation which is why we're reaching for the coffee right so we want to make sure that we're doing it in a way that the brain can be supported. So the sugars, processed sugars just tend to be really hard. And then those trans fats, those evil, evil trans fats, they, like Franken fats. Hmm. But it's not all just diet. It's no. also lifestyle. So in this podcast, we looked at the physical impact of diet on the brain. But it's not the only thing that we do physically that can impact the brain. What else is there? Well, there's what do we do? Our lifestyle. Of course. So what we'd like to do is we're going to wrap up diet now. And we're going to start talking in our next podcast about the lifestyle that's going to support your brain longevity. So the physical activity and things like that. Okay, great. That's it. So for right now, this is Mary Thompson. And Janae Anderson. Signing, signing off. off. Thanks for listening to the Aging Gracefully podcast. Subscribe and stay up to date with all the latest episodes at aginggracefullypodcast.com. And while you're there, leave us a comment or a question. We welcome your voice in the conversation.